just came back from Sri Lanka last week. Some of you joined. Where are the Sri Lankan people? We'll give feedback next week. But something that's so special in Sri Lanka is that if you, if you and that's why you need to go on a mission trip. I would, I would recommend once a year because it resets your system, your spiritual system, and it helps you to understand what's really important in life. So we in the south, in the area, 0.4% of the people in that specific area are Christian. 0.4%. In South Africa, over 70% of, of the people are Christian, or they say that they're Christian. And uh, so previous year, we went there, and just before we went there last year, they were actually wondering if they should actually invite us, because they had a pro- protest. A Buddhist mob went up against the church, and they actually went into the church, even hurting a few people, so that some of them ended in the hospital. So this year, we went back to Pastor Indrajit's church, and he said, God moved so powerfully that two of those families that came against them, trying to hurt them, protesting against what they are doing, are now in his church. If that, that is how powerful God is. If, if we are going to walk in what God has called us to walk in, then we're going to see all of this happening in our, in our generation. And it's not only going to be in Sri Lanka, but also in your life. Some of you know of friends that are say, hey, I'm not going to follow Jesus like you are following. Or you have a family member, you're praying for them, and they said, hey, listen, yeah, I'm an atheist, or I believe this, or I believe this about my sexuality. And you're like, hey, I know that I'm believing the truth, and I'm standing on the truth, and I'm going to pray for you. And God says that if we do that, there's a grace for that to happen in that person's life. But we need to apply faith to this. We need to live according to what the Word says. And we need to, we need to go, we need to step out of faith and understand that what we are basing our lives on is not on how we feel, it's not on what the world says, it's on what the Word of God says. It's so, so, so important. I was just reminiscing a little on, on my birthday and, and the last 10 years, my, like Luke said, uh, 1st of July would be 10 years in George. So I was 29 years when I came to George. They sent me to be the senior pastor. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. As a senior pastor of this congregation, it was a lot, it was a lot smaller. And I, I genuinely believed that I could do it by the grace of God. I don't know if I was just arrogant, but I think... I think somehow God placed that seed of faith in my life to know that in Christ you can do all, all things. I remember the first meeting we had, was still, our church was still on the other side. There was one of the, the leaders, asked the leader that was now introducing me as the new senior pastor. And she said, hey, so don't shofar have any older pastors. <laughs> and then a son interrupted her and said, hey, mom, what does that have to do anything with anything? So I want to, in a way, I want to release faith before we start. And this is not the sermon, but faith for you to go after what God has called you to do and to understand that you can do greater things than what you can imagine you are self-capable of. But it needs to be in obedience. Some of you think you're going to go out and do some crazy things and it's only going to be about yourself. I was listening to Simon Sinek talk on, on leadership on my, on my way back from Sri Lanka. He's not, a, he's not a Christian guy, but he, he's got some b- 
brilliant Christian principles nailed down when it comes to leaders, leadership. If you want to listen to great leadership stuff, go, go to his stuff. And then he, he said, he, he talked about happiness and he talked about being fulfilled in, in life. And then he, he said, he mentioned three professional athletes. And he said, all of these people, they got to the top of their game. So they got the accolades. It was, a, it was a swimmer, it was an athlete, and an MMA fighter. They won the gold medal, so to speak. And then all three, if you, if you study their lives, if you study their autobiographies, you realize that that actually lead, led to the deepest depression. Why? Because they lived all their life, lives. They lived for themselves. And they achieved this on their own. Hey, I am now the best MMA fighter in my weight category. I'm the top of my game. But that's where it stops. But with God, that will never happen. Because you're not living for yourself. You're living for God, first of all, but then you also see the fruit of your labor in other people. So I want to, before we start, I just want to release that into you. So go all out in obedience to what God has called you to do. Believe that you can actually do it. Because if God leads you there, you can do it. And that might be that you're going to be successful in this world also. And people are going to look up to you and they're going to say, wow, look at this guy. He has success. But then what you need to do is you need to not fall into the the temptation of thinking it's all about you. Because then what's going to happen? Two days, three days, a couple of years after that success, you're going to fall into depression. You're going to realize, wow, I just did it for myself. And it's not, it's unworthwhile just doing it for ourselves. What's your legacy? Your legacy is not you, Amor. Your legacy is what are you leaving behind? What are you leaving behind in other people? Great. So I'm talking about a theology of, of suffering on my birthday. I can talk about whatever I want to on my birthday. So a couple of weeks ago, we were in Wellington, and on the Saturday night before the Sunday sermon, I felt the Lord stirring this message um, in me for the Wellington congregation. I felt the Lord saying, they are mature, therefore they can receive this message. So I believe you are mature, therefore you can receive this message. So here's the bottom line. First up, it's not God's will that there's any suffering in this world. If Adam and Eve stayed true to the word of God, stayed true in obedience to God and lived their life unto God, then there would have been no suffering. So it's not the will of God that there should be any suffering. But if you're going to be obedient to God, you will experience suffering because of the messed upness of this world because of sin. So it's not the will of God. But you will experience suffering if you follow and pursue Jesus Christ. If you're just after comfort, this is not going to end well for you pursuing Jesus. And in a way, that's one of the things that we need to say first off. I'm willing to let go of my relationship with comfort before you follow Jesus. The symbol of Christianity is a cross. Back in the day, it wasn't jewelry. It was an instrument devised to maximize pain so that the person hanging on the cross would die of pain. 
And Jesus is saying, hey, we need to take up our cross. That's before he dies on the cross. He's saying, I'm going to take up my cross, and I want you also to take up your cross. And I want you to follow me through death into resurrection. The privileged position that we have is that we look at the cross. We look at suffering through the lens of the resurrection. In other words, we look at our suffering from a place of victory. We know it's so small into comparison to what Jesus did and what he paid for and what we receive in Jesus Christ. So suffering is not God's will. Not in your body, not in your soul, not in your mind, not even in the world. Looking at those young kids suffering in Sri Lanka because of all kinds of different diseases and people with diabetes. And by the way, that was one of the biggest demons that we, we saw there is diabetes. People that are not healthy. They're not eating well. So sugar, stay off sugar. In October, yeah, amen. In October, we're going to do a healing month and I'm going to remove all the sugar from the coffee stations. Just so you know. It's coming. Because I'm, I'm sick and tired. I've, I went there for six years now. And then, especially as one lady, as a pastor's grandma, and, uh, or mother, excuse me, sorry. And I, I was praying for her, and she had diabetes. And now, when we arrived there now, she had to put off half a, a foot because of diabetes. It's just ignorance and also not willing to apply discipline. Okay. That's another sermon. Ask the interns. They're getting it. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. You shouldn't be surprised when there's suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice! Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed, overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For, it's a, for it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So Peter is saying, hey, Church, I'm preparing you. You will suffer. But understand that while you are suffering, it's just you following Jesus. And you can rejoice in that. So let's look at what is suffering not. So it's not to impress God. There are some denominations and sects within Christianity, that they would inflict pain on themselves, especially during Easter, and they would somehow try and impress God with the amount of pain that they inflict on themselves. 
You cannot impress God. You cannot tell God, God, I'm suffering so much and therefore you need to be impressed. No, God is impressed with you because you are in Jesus Christ. We have the beautiful example of Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3, 17. God speaks and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Even before Jesus does any ministry. And God looks at you and says, hey, I'm well pleased with you, Luke. Well done. I'm well pleased with you, Rikas. Well done. I love you. Not because you inflict pain on yourself or you go through all this suffering because you're not a Christian. No, he is well pleased with you. So we cannot impress God with our suffering. It's not to feel sorry for yourself. Some Christians, you communicate more often about the sufferings that you're going through because you're a Christian than you talk about the prize in Jesus Christ. Don't feel sorry for yourself. If you do any amount of counseling, you'll realize what one of the demons, especially in Christianity today, in our generation and the younger generation, even worse, is that we fall for the demon of self-pity. Oh, I made this decision to follow Jesus. Now my parents are against me. My friends are against me. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. Oh, it's horrible. What are you doing? You're missing the point. You're complaining about the little bit of sacrifice that you made for the biggest prize in the world, which is eternal life and more than that, relationship with God himself. Complain too often. Why? Because we have this very unhealthy relationship with comfort. And you think that somehow God's going to fit into your little comfortable box and He's going to help build that. No, He's not. He's going to take you out of your comfort zone. That's why the Holy Spirit's called the Comforter, so that He can comfort you when there's suffering, when there's difficult situations. To constantly talk about all the sacrifices that you've made for Jesus, it's like I'm taking you to my garage and say, hey, you know what? I emptied my pockets. I went to my kids' room, took all their money, and I gave 132 rand to this guy, and then I bought this car that's behind the garage door. I made massive sacrifice for this. I'm suffering. Financially, because of of this. And then I open the door and in the garage is the newest Ferrari. And you know, my friend would go like, what are you crazy? Are you stupid? You didn't pay anything. That's nothing. 137 rand for that. Where can I go? Where can I buy another? Well, let's buy all of them. And that is my relationship. By the grace of God, with my suffering, yes, I made lots of sacrifices. But I don't even see them as sacrifices because the prize overwhelms it. I found life in Jesus Christ. How can I complain? How can I even talk about the little bit that I gave for Jesus Christ? The friends that I lost, the little bit of persecution... That one guy that looked me in the face and said, Amor, F, yo, you're a Christian. I hate you. That's nothing in comparison to what I found in Jesus Christ. Oh, there's another lady that still thinks I'm, I'm the pastor of a sect. Oh, whoa, oh, it's horrible. No, it's not. 
in comparison to what I found in Jesus Christ. So don't feel sorry for yourself. This is the best thing ever. Sitting tonight in church is the best thing ever. Experiencing this worship is the best thing ever. I'm like, this is a perfect birthday. I had three services, three sermons that I could preach at a willing crowd. Think you're willing? <laughs> it's just the best ever. Sitting in, this morning in Henry's worship, now in James's worship. James is going to take his worship to, to the U.S., by the way. We've got a massive sponsor for that also. And there's something of the purity that he carries that's going to blow America up. So it's beautiful. And financially bless him too. Let's talk about blessing people financially. But he also already got a massive sponsorship. People that just want to invest in the kingdom. Number three, many people bring suffering upon themselves. Some people tell me, Hey, Amo, everybody's rejecting me because I'm a Christian. But then I look at your relational skills and I'm thinking, no, I don't think. I don't think it's because you're a Christian. I think it's actually because you haven't worked on loving people well. You're a bad listener. You don't make any efforts with celebrating other people. It's all about yourself and you telling me it's persecution. No, it's not persecution. And we, we need to be honest with one another. That's why community is so important. So important. Yes, every now and then, your friend's going to say, you are absolutely crazy. And then you need to stop speaking to that friend about this crazy idea that you and God have. And you need to just, at the end, two years down the line, you just need to go to him or her and say, hey, listen here, you remember that crazy idea? actually pulled it off. God and I pulled it off. And I'm not shoving it in your face to tell you that I'm better than you. I'm just telling you that God's faithful. And then even Peter says that if you suffer because you're a murderer or a thief or kind of a criminal, that's, that's good suffering. You should suffer. If you don't obey the law, you should suffer. Do not even ask the Lord, Lord, for grace and mercy. Just allow for your, for your soul to experience that. The wrath of the system, of the legal system. It is a good thing. Read Romans 13. We should fear the government. In South Africa, we don't fear the government. George, you don't fear the government. You drive your car with your cell phone in your hand. We don't fear the traffic cops anymore. It's, it's a good thing. And then if you get pulled over... That's not suffering for the gospel. And some people say, you oh, no, it's suffering. No, you're not suffering. You, you broke a law and therefore you suffer. So we're talking about what suffering is not. And then number four, some sufferings must be healed and delivered. This is, it's really, it's a difficult idea to communicate, but this is how I figured, out, figured it out for myself. Suffering on the inside is not from the Lord. Because the Prince of Peace lives on the inside of you. Philippians 4, 7, it says that there is a peace 
that surpasses all understanding. So you need to bring everything that you're struggling with, your anxiety, your fear, your depression, you need to bring that to the Lord, and then a peace that surpasses all understanding. So it surpasses what you can think of in terms of peace. It surpasses that. And that will then come into your soul, and that will govern your heart and your mind. And it will guard your heart and your mind. So if you're suffering on the inside, or even in, if you suffer with some illness or sickness, like cancer or diabetes, God wants to heal you. He wants to deliver you. And we need to believe that. Some of us struggle to believe that because of our experience. We've all seen people die of cancer. But if you read the Bible, you see Jesus heals everybody. And he wants to do it in your life also. We just need to bring our faith with what the Word of God says, the truth, and then God can do it for us. In this church, we have so many testimonies of people that got delivered of depression, anxiety, and all these mental illnesses. So I believe this. Suffering on the inside is not from the Lord, and you can be healed and delivered from this. External suffering. It will always happen until Jesus comes back. And we should expect it. But when we step into that, we can rejoice. I've tried to train my mind whenever I suffer in any way, whether it's mountain biking or whether it's doing something that I need to stay up late at night and I'm tired, I try to train my mind to put the devil next to me and say, hey, I'm going to rejoice in this suffering. I'm going to rejoice. So yesterday, I went over the mountain to Oatsroeng, and as we came back, I realized I don't have the petrol to go over Montague Pass again. I said to the guys, all of them older than me, supposed to be, I'm supposed to be a lot fitter than them because of my age. I said to them, listen here, you, need to, you guys need to go. I'm going to phone my wife now. I'm going to do this thing that's going to hurt my ego. And then this guy, he, he cycles way in front of me, and then he comes back. He circles back, and he's like, hey, Amor, come on, just 20 kilometers. And I'm like, Michael, shut up. You just go. <laughs> but while I'm doing that last bit, waiting for my wife to come and fetch me, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I bless you for a body. I bless you for the suffering. So train your mind to rejoice in suffering. Because think of how that hurts the devil. The devil is like, hey, I'm going to cause chaos in your circumstances. I'm going to try and make Luke suffer. And then you make the devil sit there on the chair and you tell him, hey, this A, B, C, D, E, all of these things are going wrong in my life, but I'm going to worship Jesus Christ now. You're going to sit and listen while I do that. The devil's never going to try that again with you. He's just going to hate you. So here's the worst kind of suffering, ultimate suffering. Ultimate suffering happens when God's not there. And that place is called hell. That is ultimate suffering. Suffering what we endure in terms of body pain or anxiety or even depression, that is not suffering 
So this should be our perspective, because we're talking about the theology of suffering. What does the Bible say? What's God's perspective on suffering? God's like, hey, listen here, you can endure, just endure. Actually, while you endure amidst suffering, that's actually a beautiful picture of what a Christian should be like. And so many people have said this to me. Hey, Amo, I looked at that person who's a Christian, how they endured suffering, the the passing away of a loved one, and I could see just the love of Jesus and the peace of Jesus in that person. Therefore, I also want to know that Jesus. Beautiful. So it's not suffering. Suffering is when you are in hell. That is suffering. And we need to get that perspective. And I want your soul to be shocked by this revelation. Hell is suffering. So the worst kind of suffering is when you end up in hell. Similar to that is when you know of other people that's going to end up in hell. So I have a friend. Is, he has a good friend. Just passed away last week. Went to the funeral. And he said, I'm going to call all my friends together, our close friends, about five. And I asked all of them, do you know if our friend made a decision for Christ before he died? None of them could say yes. He said, oh, that's suffering. It's horrible. They had to eventually call the pastor because they weren't living with this good friend anymore. They had to call the pastor and say, hey, pastor, he was in your church. What was the kind of road that you walked with him? And then eventually the pastor said, hey, listen, he gave his heart to Jesus. He did. The suffering is that, hey, I don't know where my friend's at. But we, we, need, we shouldn't go there. You shouldn't have to wait for a pastor to confirm that you are a Christian. All of the people around you should be able to say, hey, I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your relationships. I see it in your business. I see in the way that you operate. You are a Christian. So when you die, if you fall tomorrow, you just fall flat on your back, you're dead. People must stand up at your funeral and say, this guy lived Jesus. He wasn't perfect, but he lived Jesus. And at your funeral, people will get saved. So ultimate suffering is hell. And, and I've now walked the road with a lot of parents that, have pray, that are praying for their kids that are not saved. That's also hell. So if you're not going to Jesus, if you die tonight, you better make right with Jesus tonight. And there will be opportunity for that. And it's a very simple opportunity. It's just a call out to say, hey, I give it all to Jesus Christ. And then you make sure you get baptized as soon as possible. You get full of the Holy Spirit. And then you start speaking about Jesus. You don't have to wait for three years of Bible school before you can do that. You just do it straight away. God can use you. He wants to use you. So what is the, what is the way that we get to a good theology of, of suffering? Yes, it's obviously to understand those, those principles that I've already shared. But it's... For me, it's about giving up ownership. Because if you understand that your life, your life doesn't belong to you if you follow Jesus. You must be like, hey, Jesus, whatever you want of me, I'll do it. I'll do it. Then you know if if you suffer, then you're going to get a reward for that. First of all, the reward is that you have Jesus Christ 
The second reward is that God will reward you also in heaven. The Bible actually talks about there's a special place and a special reward for martyrs. That's why some of the early church, they wanted to be martyred. Because they wanted to receive that reward. They know this is the best insurance policy, just to be a martyr. And that in a way is wrong, but I like the way they think. Paul says this, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm dead. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He prays this prayer and he says. Lord please take this cup of suffering away from me. So Jesus perfect God. Perfect man. He is suffering. But he knows what he needs to do. He needs to fulfill. The purpose of him becoming human. But then he says this, not my will, but yours be done. Because he understands that he needs to be obedient to God. The rich ruler comes to Jesus, tell Jesus that he is doing the whole law and he's obeying the law. And then Jesus says this, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And what did the rich ruler do? He walked away because he had many possessions. Because he somehow believed that he can follow Jesus, but he only has to give half of what he can give. No, he need to give everything. So what God's not saying is not, hey, you're not allowed to make money. You're not allowed to have a home. You're not allowed to have a second, second income. You're not allowed to hustle and to... Think of plans on how to finance your kid's university degree. No, that's not what God's saying. But he's saying, who owns it? Who owns your life? If you have a, if you have a bus, proverbially speaking, and there is somebody else that I want you to give that bus to so they can use it for a mission trip, then are you willing to give that to them? Or are you going to say, hey, no, it's, it's mine, it's mine. It's mine. No, it's not yours. If you cannot take it with you to heaven, it, you, it doesn't belong to you. And I was, I was very fortunate to be brought up in a home where my, my dad bought a holiday home. I don't know actually how he did it with his finances, but he, he did it. And there would be an opportunity for us to serve a couple that cannot afford a holiday, and then my dad would just say, hey, you come and stay in our house for free. And then we would know the conversations behind closed doors, like, hey, are we going to sell the house or keep the house because we, we need more money. The Okinians are eating too much, and we need to go on a cricket tour, and we need a rugby tour. And like, hey, and my dad says, hey, no, it's not ours. God gave this to us. And some of you are already thinking of, hey, that other guy that owns a lot of stuff. No, you must think of yourself. You own already a lot of stuff. If you have a cell phone, you are rich. It's not about the other person. It's about who, what do you own? Your skill set, your giftings, your platform, everything belongs to Jesus. If you follow Jesus, that's what you're saying. 
everything belongs to Jesus. The clothes on your body belongs to Jesus. You cannot take it with you to heaven. My kids, my wife, all of them belong to Jesus. There's one crazy missionary story that so inspired me, but gave me a massive fright in just pursuing Jesus, was the story of Jim Elliot. So he was in his 20s, heard about this tribe in Ecuador that have never heard the gospel. So he and a few friends got a plane together, flew out to Ecuador, and they started their missionary journey. And within a week, all of them were killed by this very tribe. Dead. Imagine being the mom of Jim Elliot. Okay, are you sure you need to go? Is this really what? It's probably the church that's now manipulated you into thinking oh, you're a missionary. Now you're dead. Told you. Hey, Jan, I told him. I- imagine. But now this is, the, this is the end of the story. Two years after that, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, flies out with some other friends, and they lead the whole tribe to Jesus. So for me, this is the scary part. Lord, am I willing to die so that two years after my death, my wife can lead a whole tribe to Jesus? Am I willing to do that? Am I at this point where giving ownership of my life is going to play out in that way? Is that what I think? Is that what I'm thinking of? I, uh, let's not where I'm at. I want to still see my kids getting married. I want to be a grandfather. It's one of my greatest desires to be a grandfather. But God. So talking about following Jesus, there's a lot more to it than just coming to church on a Sunday. For some of you, it's still difficult just to come to church on a Sunday. You think, well, it's, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. I have to miss that soccer match on a Sunday evening. Oh, suffering for Jesus. No, you're not suffering. It's about ownership, just giving up. And then it's like, oh, Lord, I rejoice. I'm just carrying my cross. And I'm following Jesus. And then hopefully, Jesus, when I die, when I'm 25 years old, and I'm following you with everything in me, then my death, the seed of my death, will become a tree for the gospel to be spread to many other people. Lord, please just take care of my kids and my wife. Who's my wife going to marry? Is there anybody as cool as I am? I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. I think about these things. Are you willing, are we really willing to follow Jesus? 